So where we left off in the sugya, I, I chopped things up. I took some sukim out um, that were not no longer germane. So this is an updated source sheet. I left in the first two pieces of the sugya here at the bottom of page one, which we know now by heart, Chizkiah's position, which is that if the Torah says don't eat it, it means don't eat it and that's it, unless it goes out of its way to say it in a strange way so you can't get benefit, which means that Chizkiah is gonna have a problem every time that the Torah goes out of its way to tell you, you may get benefit. Because according to him, there's no need for that. Mm -hmm. Then there's Rabbi Why is that a problem? Who was, the, who was sort of the central position that we dealt with. And, that, and he had the opposite piece, which was every time the Torah says <clears throat> something, it means don't eat it and can't get Hanah. And unless when the Torah goes out of its way to tell you that you may get Hanah. So therefore, he's going to have a problem whenever the Torah um, uh, goes out of its way to say you may not have Hanah. Because according to him, that should be the default. Okay, and we dealt with Gid HaNasheh as a challenge, and we dealt with Dam as a challenge, and we dealt with Avramin Achai as a challenge, all right? And we, and we dealt with, um, um, that was the big thing that we dealt with last week. And now we have a bunch of other Machalot Asurot. We're going to do everything that's in the Bavli. Time remaining, I want to take a look at the, at the Rishalmi, because the Rishalmi is... Interesting for what it quotes, what it doesn't quote, but more curiously for its style. Because uh, the Talmud Yerushalmi locally in our, in our place in Psachim um, also deals with this exact same issue of Isturehana. Okay, uh, let's go to where we left off. Where we left off was Orla. Now, Orla uh, is a, a word that... Uh, I won't say defies, but is somewhat uh, subject to discussion as to its translation. Is an orla, the way they're on Bonds and Street, is like something that's covered up, something that's like withheld from you. Um, and orla, we are familiar with in two contexts, which are three. There is a physiological context, which is, of course, foreskin. And by Bishelah, uh, I don't know how to say Bishelah, as a borrowed sort of idea, as an extended idea, there is the notion of Orlatalev, uh, which shows up um, already in Sefer Dvarim, Umaltiat Orlat Levavchem, I will circumcise the, your hearts. It is prominent in uh, Yechezkel, in Yirmiyahu, in the later Nevi'im, the idea of having some sort of a thickness, um, a cover, a denseness around your heart uh, that makes you unwilling or unable to understand and that God's gonna cut that away. And so the, the sort of the model from that, uh, in Yechezkel, we see Erel Leib, Erel Basar, the two is sort of compared. That's one thing. However, Orla that we're gonna deal with here is a very different Orla. And that is the status of fruit trees meaning the status of the produce of fruit trees during the first three years. There's some very interesting side issues that have to do with Orla, um, one of which has to do with transplanting and grafting. At what point are we talking about a new tree and then the clock starts fresh and therefore you need a full three years or at least parts of three years in order to be able to eat from it? And at what point does it continue 
I mean, at what point of growth does it continue? So we have here in our neighborhood, we have some friends, some of you may know them, who, um, who had an etrog tree and they moved out of town and they donated the etrog tree to another neighbor. And so the etrog tree was brought over to the neighbor, but they had to do it in such a way that there was enough earth around the transplanted tree so it was not considered a new planting. Otherwise the clock would have started again. And they did it so that the etrogen were usable right away. Anyhow, the Torah forbids the use of orla. Should we say the Torah forbids eating orla? Take a look here in the psukim. Uh, I made all the psukim small that were from the earlier things. So you see here in the middle of Parshat Kedoshim, verse 8. The chi tavo el ha'aretz. When you come to the land, and you plant every sort of fruit tree, meaning uh, that produces edible fruit. So here the word orla is used twice, at, once as a, as a verb. Which seems to mean to cover up or treat it as a cover. Orlato is a noun. It's orla of the fruit. And it's repeated a third time. For three years, it will be considered arelim, and now lo yeachel, it may not be eaten. Okay, there's the, 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 the text. Now, vare orla, and you're going to see this is going to be a challenge again against Rabbi Avot, who is constantly in the hot seat. Uh, I want to uh, mention an important methodological point uh, for us to keep in mind when studying a sugya. Um, we have, we'll talk about this a little bit because this is a broad thing and we're going to be leaving the, the, this sugya after today. What happens when you have a sugya like ours? We have two different opinions. The opinions are batted about, and as you will see, there is no determination explicitly made in the sugya as to which opinion we follow. What do we do? So what we do is we look to the Rishonim, we look to the Poskim, we see how the Psach Halacha goes. The truth is that in this particular case, it's a trick question. And that is because there's nothing to do here. Meaning the difference between Chizkiah and Rabbi Avahu is more theoretical, more exegetical, and not practical. Because Rabbi Avahu will agree that according to some opinions, you're allowed to get Hanar from Gidan Hashem. And Rabbi Avahu will agree that according to everybody, you're allowed to get Hanar from Dam. And Chizkiah will agree that you're not allowed to get Hanar from Orla, as we're going to see. The only question is when they, what, exegetically, when they read a text and they see, do not eat, how do they read it? So we really don't need to make that determination. But I'm going to use this sugya anyways as an opportunity to make uh, what is an important methodological point about that. You know, one of the most important enterprises uh, in the history of Jewish literature was Sifrei Psak. Because as you all know, in the, when the Gemara was finally formulated, and started to be promulgated, and copies were actually starting to be written in the 8th century and 9th century, and it was sent out from Bavel, um, it created a lot of difficulty, because if you wanted to know what to do, not only could you not find 
where the discussion is because things are quite disorganized. But also, even if you found the discussion, and even if you were able to follow the discussion, you would not know at the end of the discussion which opinion is the halakha in many, many cases. So there are some very late additions in some sugyot where it says hilchata this way or hilchata that way. We follow this opinion, follow that opinion. There's certain psak that are in the Gemara that are very late that say whenever there's a machloka between uh, this one and that one, we follow this particular opinion. Most of the psak that we're familiar with are actually post-Talmudic. So for instance, when we have Rav versus Shmuel, so our general rule is that halacha k'shmuel bedine, that whenever the dispute is one about financial or civil issues, then we follow Shmuel. Whenever it's about ritual issues, we follow Rav. That's a post-Talmudic rule. And that doesn't appear in the Talmud itself. So what's someone to do? So that's why the, the, the process that started with halachot Sukkot of Rabbi Yudai Gon in the 8th century and culminated really with the Rambam, and then had several other post-culminations with the tour and the Shulchan Aruch uh, was such a vital thing. Because it said, you know, you can read through the Gemara, you can study through the Gemara, you can understand the Gemara, you still don't know which position is the practice. So we have to have a psak. Okay. But how can you tell when studying a, when studying a sugya? And the answer is sometimes, and you have to develop a sensitivity for it, you can tell that there's two opinions, but one opinion is consistently being battered and always has to defend itself. And the other one seems to be sitting on the side, sort of, sorry for saying it this way, sort of smirking, saying, ah, I got you again. And you can tell that the sugya favors the position that it's not battering. It sees the one that it's battering as a troubling position, and it assumes it has a defense, but it's battering it for a reason. So you'll notice that in our sugya, Rabbi Avahu is the one whose position is always up for being battered. Right? He said, every time it says, lo tochal, lo tochlu, lo yachel, it means you can't get hanah. And then we threw didan ashad at it, we threw dam at it, we threw every minachai. We threw all these counterexamples at it. And then at the end of each thing, in some cases we said, okay, Chizkiah has also got to defend himself. So if I were a betting man, and I'm not, but if I were a betting man, I would put money on the idea that the Gemara favors Chizkiah, meaning the Gemara senses that Chizkiah's position is the normative one. Right? So just wanted to make that methodological point because, again, Rabbi Avahu is going to be attacked. And so he's, he's so much on the, on the attack board, he's so much on the hot seat that they don't even have to say attack to Rabbi Avahu. It's like obvious that any attack is against Rabbi Avahu. Okay, here we go. Hare Orla, the Rachmanama, Relim Lo Yachel, Vitanya. Here we go. We have a Brita, Arilim Lo Yachel. Now, um, let's read through the Brita, but I want to talk about where this Brita comes from because, again, I'm just stealing every moment that I can to talk methodology and every opportunity. Arilim lo yeachel, that's the pasuk, ein li ela isur achila. All I know is that you can't eat it. Minayin shelo yehenemimenu, how do I know that I can't get benefit from it? Including, shelo yitzvabo, I can't use the fruit or the, or the, or the rind or any other part of the fruit, not just, not, not just the fruit itself, the meat of the fruit, but the rind of the fruit, 
as a dye to color. And I can't even use it as fuel. Remember I pointed out the word arel shows up three times. It's like overkill. Forbidden, forbidden, forbidden. Off limits, off limits, off limits. It's there to tell you, you may not get any benefit whatsoever. So notice what happened. The Torah said it's arelim, you can't eat it. And by the way, you so much can't eat it. Arelim, 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 you can't get any benefit. Which, by the way, tells you something about the relative weakness of saying you can't eat it. You can't eat it isn't strong enough to prohibit anything except eating. And the Torah had to keep throwing in arel, arel, arel to prohibit all of these other things. Now, before we go further, I'm going to ask you, look at this Breitah and tell me if you remember Breitah, we're looking at a Gemara in Psachim. The Breitah was not created in the Gemara. A Breitah, remember, is something that was composed by the Tanaim, right? And the Gemara, we're looking at the discussions of the Amoraim and later. So where does this Breitah come from? Meaning it was memorized and somebody in the Beit Midrash recited it and then they discussed it and that's this discussion but what was its original context what was its zitzim laden if you will you didn't think you'd come to a methodology class and hear some german but what was what what is the what is the is the original context of this brighter so the and again i i am stealing every opportunity to talk methodology the answer to that question is always going to be one of two things it's very it's very simple i mean there aren't a whole lot of choices choice one is mishnah and i'll explain what i mean by that term choice two is midrash so let's talk about how law is organized because this is vital for understanding everything we're doing we are studying dafyomi Right? And daf yomi means that we're studying the Babylonian Talmud. And the Babylonian Talmud is a series of discussions that revolve around the Mishnah. Okay, what is the Mishnah? I know the Mishnah is a code of law. I know the Mishnah was not written down for hundreds of years. I know the Mishnah was the winnowed out, selected, organized, distilled version of all of the oral teachings that were out there about the law in the first couple centuries. Okay, fine. But what is it? Is it is the Mishnah a discussion? Is the Mishnah a source book? Is the Mishnah a commentary? What is it? Yeah, you guys can unmute yourself pretty easy. It's a, dis now, a discussion okay. of laws based on the Torah. Is it a discussion? Let's think about the it's Mishnah. Think it's a discussion. What is it? I don't think it's a discussion. I think it. I think it's a commentary. It's a. It's a state. It's a statement written in couplets. You couplets usually. Okay, so statement. What? I think it's trying to of Jewish law. Statement of Jewish law. Torah principles. Yeah, apply them. Take it again. Sherman, say it again. It's a. They're taking statements out of the Torah applying right. them to, to, to law as they see it. Right. And once they apply it to the Machlokit starts. To the Machlokit starts. <laughs> and all of that's in the Mishnah. 
So if you think about it, from the Mishnayot to some degree, what's not in the Mishnah? So if you think about what's in the Mishnah, you'll realize the Mishnah is far less than that. Meaning, we, we think of all that as happening behind the scenes. But think about what the Mishnah is. The Mishnah is a series of apodictic statements. There are no sources, rarely are there sources invoked. There are no discussions, okay, exceptions, but there rarely are discussions that take place and debates. What you have is, in this particular case, this is the law, Rabbi Yehuda disagrees. That's pretty much it. You have to do this by this hour. Rabbi Shimon says you got an extra hour. That's pretty much it. Right? You think about the very first Mishnah Psachim. The very first Mishnah Psachim gives a rule, which is the night of 14th, you got to check the house using a candle. And then the Mishnah goes to an older Mishnah and says, and that old statement that they had, which was you have to check two rows in the wine cellar. So what does it mean? Oh, Beit Shammai says it means this. Beit Hillel says it means this. That's it. Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel don't discuss with each other. They don't try to bring proofs to why one is right, one is the other. There's no psukim involved. That's pretty much what we have. That's Mishnah. Now, how was Mishnah organized? Meaning, you look at a book of Mishnah. What are you looking at? You're looking at maybe six volumes, 12 volumes, 80 volumes, depending on how much translation or commentary there is. But what are you looking at? So we're looking at Psachim. That's our Mishnah. Mishnah is Psachim. Where will you find Psachim? If you wanted to look in a Jewish library. What? You would look in Mishnah, and then what were you looking Moed. Moed. What's Moed mean? Chagim. The calendar, exactly. This is the calendar, right? Because Rebbe Yudanasi and his brilliance organized all of Jewish law into six broad categories. One of them, it's the calendar. And that's what Psachim fits. Now, by the way, you'll notice that Shabbat, Eruvin, Psachim, Shkalim, Yoma, I'm just taking the first five. Now, uh, where in the Torah is Shabbat? All over. All over the place, right? Where in the Torah is Eruvin? Nowhere. Nowhere. What? Nowhere. It doesn't exist. Where Not there. Not what? There. Where's Psachim? Not there. Psachim? Where's Psachim? Psachim. Good. Okay. Where's where's Yoma? Actually, if you think about it, all the material included in Masachet Yoma is in Vayikra. Right? And then there's one little piece in Bamidbar about the Korban Musaf. That's it. Now, notice how the Mishnah is organized. It's not organized by, let's start with the things in Breshit. It's not organized by, let's start with the things that have the most psukim, Shabbat, 
than Psachim, it's Shabbat than Eruvin than Psachim. So what's the organizational system? The answer is that it's nothing Topics. to do with the text. It had nothing to do with the text of the Torah. The organizational system of the Mishnah is thematic. It is based on ideas, based on areas of law. And the organizing principle behind that is a whole other shear by itself, which we don't have time for, but it exists. There is an organizational principle, why Shabbat's first, then Eruvin, and then Psachim, and why the Masachot at the beginning of every Seder are long, at the end they're short. There's reasoning behind it. There's even reasoning behind the organizational structure within a Mishnah, when there's several opinions, why, what, what, the, what order they come in. There's wisdom behind all of it. But I just want to talk about this one thing. So that means that if I want to look up a law about torts, I've got to go to Nizikin, and I've got to go to Masachet Nizikin and open up at the beginning the part that we call Bavakam. That's torts. Right? If I want to look about Shechita, I've got to go to Seder Kodashim, which deals with killing animals, and go to Chulin, which deal, deals with killing mundane animals, and i got to look at how to do that. And the fact that the, that the psukim about shechita don't really exist, and there's one pasuk, kasher tziviticha, that we connect it to, doesn't make a difference as far as where I'm going to find it. Okay. That's Mishnah. Please take a look at this text. I don't want to take it too far away from this. Look at the text that we just read. It's a brighter. The brighter is introduced to the word vitanya. The rest of it is in blue. I, I put brightot in blue. The green is because of psukim. So the green and the blue, that's all part of the brighter. All right? Now, what is the starting point of this brighter? Is the starting point of this brighter, what are the laws of Orla? What's the starting point of this mm -hmm. brighter? It assumes that you know that Achila is Asur. So what's this? Just look at the bright eye. I never met it before. I just know how to read Hebrew. All right? I know nothing else. What's the starting point of the bright eye? What are the first three words of the bright eye? Where is it? Aralim lo yochel. In other words, what are the first three words of the bright eye? A pasuk. Mm. I'm not looking at a Mishnah. Now, by again, when I say Mishnah, I don't mean part of the canonized Mishnah. I mean, I'm not looking at literature that we call Mishnah. Literature that we call Mishnah would say, Asur Lechol, Asur Litzboa, Asur Ladlik Etaner. That's it. It would say, what you're not allowed to do, Zehu. Instead, what's the style of this, mish of this statement, of this Braita? It starts out with a Pasuk. It then says, what do I know from the Pasuk? I know that I can't eat. How do I know that I can't even get Hanah? Therefore, the Pasuk uses an extra phrase to teach that to me. You know what we call that? We call that Midrash. That's exactly, you're looking at a Midrash, straight in the face. This is a Midrash. Because what's the Midrash doing? It's taking a Pasuk, and it is pulling from the added phrasing of the Pasuk, from the superfluous words of the Pasuk. It is pulling more halacha. This is Midrash halacha. Now, 
everybody see why there's a Nidrash Halacha? Everybody see? It's starting with a Pasuk, and from the Pasuk, it's getting law. What's the organizational system of a Midrash Halacha? And I'm going to give you a corollary to our two systems in a minute. Remember, the organizational scheme of the Mishnah is theme, idea, uh, area of law. What's the organizational scheme of Midrash Halacha? How will you find this Midrash Halacha? What will you have to look up? Start with a pasuk. Yeah, that's exactly it. I'll go to a pasuk. You're exactly right. I will find this pasuk, and then I will find the midrash on this pasuk in order following the midrash on the previous pasuk. And I'll find the midrash on this pasuk, and the midrash on this pasuk is going to say this. So I have to know where this pasuk is. Fortunately, I have a handout, and it says that this pasuk is in Vayikra Yudtet. Now, I'm doing this blind because I want to make a point. I didn't check this in advance. Now, so we're going to do this together. What is the book of Midrash Halacha on the book of Vayikra? What's it called? Vayikra Rabbah. That's the Midrash uh, Agadah, which is actually quite early, but still later. It's about fourth century. Beautiful, beautiful collection. What is the Midrash Halacha on Vayikra called? It's called Sifra. Okay. The Gemara calls it Sifra. You know what Sifra means? It means the book. That's how important it was. It was the book. The Midrash Halacha on, on, on Shmot and on Bamidbar and Dvarim was called Sifri, the other books. Shar Sifri. But Vayikra, Sifra, the book. And it was also called Torah Kohanim, which, by the way, is an exact translation of Leviticus. Torah Kohanim. Right. Now, I'm going to bet you that if I open up the Torah Kohanim, which I'm going to do right now, if I open up the Torah Kohanim to this pasuk, we're going to find this or something close to it. All right, let's take a look. Now, you're wondering, how am I sitting at home? Well, the answer is I could pop it out and show it to you on the screen. But I want to do it in a way that you can all see it. So I'm going to go to this particular location here. I'm going to share the screen with you so you can all see it. All right. Do you see Allah Torah? Everybody with me here? Mm -hmm. All right. Good. Now I open it up and I go to the library of this great site, Allah Torah. I don't know what it would look like in English. I apologize, but play with it. And then I go down and then you see this area that's called Midrashay Halacha? Everybody see it? I can't see your faces, so you gotta let me know. Yes, 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 yes. Good. Okay, open it up. And what do I see? Sifra on Vayikra. And I know that it happened, they, they organize this very well. I know it's in chapter 19. This is not the organization you will find um, in the Sifra. And I happen to know that it's near the bottom of the parak, near the end of the parak. So I slip down. And by the way, here you're going to find a very popular phrase. Let me show it to you because as long as we're here, let's get excited. Um,
What does it say here? Everybody see it? Everybody see it? Yep. Okay. Rabbi Akiva Omer, Zeklal Gadol Batorah. All right. You thought it came from a song. It came from the Sifra. Okay. All right. And let's get to the Arilim. Hey, look at that. You all look, I, I honestly, I did not plan this, but I could guess it would be there. All right, let's make it green for fruit. Everybody see it? Lo yeachel? Everybody see it? Lo yeachel? Ainli ela shelo yochal. All I know is that I'm not allowed to eat it. Minayin shelo yitzbabo v'shelo yehenebo. Notice the language is a little bit different. How do I know I can't paint with it or get benefit? Remember, our version said that I can't burn it. Which means that what we're looking at in our Gomorrah is taken directly from a Tanaitic source, which is the Sifra, the Midrash Halacha. All right, so let's go back to our Gemara. And with all that, I don't know about you, but I'm very excited by that. So um, let's now see what we've got. All right. So now the Brita tells us. Now, again, when you see something that looks like this, immediately think, I'm not going to find that in a Mishnah. I'm going to find that in a Midrash Halacha. I'm going to find that in something that's organized by the order of the Torah, not by the order of laws. And of, and of categories. Okay, so I told you I'd give you a, a model for that right now. Um, very quickly, we talked about this numerous times, but much earlier on in the year. Um, there is a, uh, as you know, the, uh, the Gemara famously, Rabbi Simlai tells us at the end of Masachat Makot uh, that uh, Kodesh Baruch Hu gave us 613 mitzvot, right? We're all familiar with that, 613 mitzvot. And 248 mitzvot say, 265 mitzvot lotase, Rabbi Simlai did not say another word about it. He didn't tell us what counts as a mitzvah. And that opened the doors starting in the ninth century to a huge, huge debate that went on for about 600 years as to what should be considered to be on the list, the literature of Minyan HaMitzvot. And uh, of course, the biggest person to ever weigh in on the issue was none other than the Rambam. And the Rambam, when he wrote his Sefer Mitzvot, which he wrote, by the way, in Arabic, when he wrote the Sefer Mitzvot, he created, an, or, like everything else he did, an organizing principle that was deliberate and was, 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 uh, was, not, was not opaque. It was trans, transparent. He explained to everybody what he was doing. And the organizing principle of Sefer Mitzvot is basic mitzvot first, and things that branch out afterwards. So the first mitzvah in the Rambam is to believe in God or know there's a God. Big dispute what it means, but that mitzvah. And then it goes from there. Along comes a student of the Ramban who we don't know, he's anonymous. There's theories about who he is, but we don't really know. Who in the 13th century wrote a book evidently in Provence, maybe in Spain, called Sefer HaChinuch. 
How is Sefer HaChinuch organized? Sefer HaChinuch, by the way, used the Rambam's list. He used the Rambam's list. But how is Sefer HaChinuch organized? Oh, by Pasha. It's organized by Pasha. So where is he in the Rambam, the first mitzvah is to know that there's a God. In Sefer HaChinuch, the first mitzvah is Puravu. In the Rambam, the second mitzvah is to love God. In the Sefer HaChinuch, the second mitzvah is Brit Milah. In the Rambam, the third mitzvah is to fear God. And the Sefer HaChinuch, the third mitzvah is not to eat Gidan Hashem. Mm -hmm. How do you find something in Sefer HaChinuch? It's pretty easy. You find where it is in the, in the Torah. And you open up, and it's organized by Parsha. It'll say Parsha Kitetze, which is, of course, the daily double of the mitzvot, as in more mitzvot than anything else. Right? And you find the mitzvah in there. In the Rambam, you have to know the system. Okay. So, again, it's a parallel, <coughs> and, and uh, just so we can see it. Okay, let's get back to our sugya. Okay. Good. Now, let's now remember that we're still attacking Rabbi Vau. I just took almost 40 minutes on methodological introductions, but I believe that they're vital for what we're doing. Why did we prohibit benefit from Orla? And you're not allowed to get benefit from Orla because the Torah said, Arel, 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 three times. Halav hachi, what can I infer from there? If the Torah had not said, Arel, 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 what would I know? Haveamena, what would I have thought? Isur achila mashma, isur hanalo mashma. Think about it. And remember, this is the problem with Rav Rabbi Avahu says every time it says lo tochal, it means isur But if that's the case, then every time the Torah claps you over the head and says, don't get hanah, Rabbi Avahu should say, why do you need that? It should be automatic. So the answer is leolam lo yochal mashma, lo yachel mashma ben isur achila ben isur I'm going to defend Rabbi Avahu. Yishani hata, remember, every time that we come to an answer, it's always going to be, this case is different. This case is unique. Dichtiv lachem. Okay, where does it say lachem? So take a look at the pasuk. Mm -hmm. um, you come to the land and you plant fruit trees. Ba'araltem or lato et pirio. Shalosh shaninihia lachem arelim. What does the word lachem mean? What does the word lachem mean? Lachem. To you? To you. To you. Now, in this context, to you means to you it's forbidden. But the very fact that the use of to you seems to indicate that it's yours. It belongs to you. And so the Gomorrah says, since here it <laughs> says lachem, Therefore, I would have thought that you're allowed to get benefit. Therefore, the Torah has to add some extra words in to prohibit benefit. Now, 
Mitzarich. Why would I have thought that? Sakadata Chamena Huil Lachetav Lachem Shalachem Yekamashmalan. So since the Torah says Lachem, I would have thought it belongs to you. Therefore, it has to add Arel Arel Arel. Okay. So now think about this. The Torah writes Lachem to make you think that you own it and you can get benefit. Then the Torah says Arel Arel Arel, you can't get benefit. Isn't there a simpler solution? What's the simpler solution? The Torah says, Lachem, giving you the impression that you can get benefit. Then the Torah says, no, 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 you can't get benefit. Just don't write Lachem. Just don't write any of it, right? Don't write Lachem and don't write Harel. Exactly. So the Gemara asks it in a little bit of a different way, which is once the Torah already prohibited uh, um, any benefit, then what's Lachem doing? If I can't get benefit, what's Lachem doing? Now let's see if you can get this. Lachem. We have a brighter starting with the word Lachem. Lirabot etanatua lirabim that this law of Orla includes things that are planted for the public. Let's say that they go out on Tubishvat and they plant trees all up along Pico Boulevard and the trees that they plant are fruit trees. Now we're in Chutzlart, so it's gonna be a different issue, but that they, even that Orla applies to. Rabbi Yudomer Rabbi says the very opposite. You know what Lachem means? Lachem means that Orla only applies to private trees and not public trees. Okay? Now, we're going to take this piece apart right now. But notice that what have we done? We've said, why do I need Arel, Arel, Arel to prohibit benefit? Because the Torah also calls Orla Lachem, and I would think I own it. And since I own it, I could do what I want with it. I can get benefit. So if that's the case, why then write Lachem and confuse me? The answer is because they need lachem to establish what sort of trees, ownership-wise, what sort of trees are included in the ban. Chachamim say public trees are included because lachem expands. Rabbi Yudha says, no, lachem actually <coughs> says public trees are not included. Trees that are planted for the public are not included. Right. <clears throat> so um, now we have to take a look at that particular machloket. Uh, We're going to do this, this quickly. But notice what's happened as we spin off. As we're saying, the reason the Torah had to write Arel, Arel, Arel was because of the counter word Lachem. The reason you needed the counter word Lachem was for a different purpose, to tell you whether or not this applies to public trees. So now let's take a look at it. My Tamaditanakama. Why does Tanakama say that public trees are, are included? How does the whole story start? Ye shall plant. Sounds like you're all planting. You plant yours, you plant yours, you plant yours. It doesn't talk about public planting. So Lachem now expands it. In other words, this is a principle of Midrash, which is Whatever the Torah is adding a phrase, it's adding it to counter the original sense. The original sense was just private, we're expanding it to public. Rabbi Yehuda then starts with a different position. 
Unetatem mashma bein l'rabim bein liachid. He says, think about it. Unetatem sounds like you all plant or you plant. V'lachem bein yachid bein rabim mashma. And now lachem could mean you all plant or you plant. Lachem, all of you or you, your family. Have a ribuya haribui. Rabbi Yehuda is a student of Rabbi Akiva. And what's ribuya haribui, which means when the Torah uses two subsequent expansive uh, terms, and ribuya acharibui elamait, that's always turns inwardly and limits. So he says, therefore, lachem limits and says a public tree doesn't count. Okay, they're my, their own local machloket. I want to touch on, on the next couple of things before we have to end. Vare truma. Now, what's truma? So let's remember, when you, you're a farmer in the land and you harvest your bounty, what's the very first thing you got to do after everything's been cleaned off and you're in the silo or your granary or your, your uh, fruit collection area? and you've got it all sorted out, what's the first thing you got to do with your fruit or your produce before you can do anything else? The first thing you got to do. Okay. Separate got, truma. Got to separate truma, right. Which means you've got to right away take uh, one, half, two percent, whatever it is of what you got, set it aside, this belongs to the Kohen, Right, and then you, after you do all the rest of the hafrashot, then you get it to the people, then you're allowed to eat the stuff, right? Okay. Now, I am not a Kohen. Alan's a Kohen, Sherwin's a Kohen, Avram's a Kohen, right? We have several Kohen in the year. I'm not a Kohen. I'm not allowed to eat truma, okay? The Torah said an outsider, a stranger, a non-Kohen may not eat Kodesh. By the way, you guys know that Rina can eat Truma too, right? You know that. Even though actually Rina herself is a is about coin, correct? Sure, when I think Rina is about coin. But um Eva's not about coin, correct? Okay, and yet Eva could eat Truma. Because a coin and his wife and his kids and his his, his whole household can eat Truma. Okay. Good. Utnan. And now watch this halacha. Remember, what is an Eruv? What is an Eruv? So please always remember this. That's limitations. Okay, that's what an Eruv, it, it's an Eruv there to solve, right? What it, is an Eruv? Just remember, always remember, Eruv is food. Eruv is always food, right? Eruv Tchumin is you set up food in a location and that establishes your house. Eruv Chatserot, you put food in somebody's house and that establishes that everybody else is a guest. All right, Eruv Tavshilin clearly is food. All right, so now, Ma'arvin Nazir Biyayin. We're going to get to that in two minutes. Uli Yisrael B'Truma. I, a non-Kohen, can use Truma as my Eruv. I'm not allowed to eat it. But I want to be able to walk from here to the valley on Shabbos. I can go up to that spot up on Laurel Canyon, which is the point that we need to set up for the Eru. I'm making this up because I don't think we need one going over Laurel Canyon, but let's just say, and I can put it there Friday and make a bracha. I'm establishing my shvita there. I'm a non-Kohen and I can use Truma for the Eru. 
which means I'm allowed to get Hanah from Truma. I'm not allowed to eat it, but I'm allowed to get Hanah. Where's Rabbi Avahu now, who said every time the Torah says you can't eat, you can't get benefit? Amar Papa, Shani Hatam, Damar Kra, Trumatchem. Papa says again, kit big different. Why is it different? Because the Torah says, V'nechshav lachem trumatchem. You have to know the context here. We're, they're talking to the Levim. The Torah is talking to Levim, saying your truma that you give to the to the Kohanim, trumat maaser, is like regular truma. Whatever it is. Point is, the Torah calls it trumatchem, which means like lachem before. Shalachem te. It belongs to you. Suddenly, we're starting to see that there's more exceptions than there are things that fit the rule, which makes the rule a little bit hard. Rabbi Yahweh says, every time it says lo tochal, it means you can't get benefit, except asterisk, 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 and suddenly Roger Maris is on every page of the record book. Right? It's always 162 games. Less and less people remember that, by the way. Um, but but trumatchem uh, means that the truma belongs to you and you can get benefit. The idach, so now, who's idach? Idach is the other guy. The other guy I'll remind you is Chizkiah. Chizkiah who said, every time it says lo tochal, it just means you can't eat, which means truma is a no-brainer you can get benefit. I don't need trumatchem to tell me that. He says trumatchem the chol Yisrael kamar. It's just a generic statement of saying it's the truma of Bnei Yisrael. All right, so now let's let's take a look at the nazir. What is what is the one food stuff that a nazir is banned from? The wine, 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 and grapes, all grape products, right? And you notice it does not at least directly have to do with drunkenness, because he can have beer, he can have uh, you know other alcohol. Evidently, but he can't have grapes, table grapes. Okay. I mean, no martinis. That makes it tough. Yeah. So you know, you have to figure out when to shake and not stir it. Okay. Um, good. Varei Nazir The Torah says you can't have even the seeds, peels, <coughs> right? Um, <clears throat> right. So you can't have any of that. We just saw this Mishnah here. Now, by the way, notice this is a Mishnah, Marvin the Nazir. And notice there's no Psukim. It just tells you the law. It's the it's a Mishnah in Eruvin. Marvin the Nazir Biyayin. I am, let's just say I'm, an, I'm not a Nazir. I'll never become a Nazir. Absolutely not. But let's say theoretically I were a Nazir and I wanted to make an Eruv. I could use wine or grapes as my Eruv. How can I do that? How am I going to benefit? Right, that the nezer is called his nezer. By the way, uh, what does a nazir, what does the word nazir mean? So the, the truth is the word nezer has two very different meanings and the Torah conflate, they can, connects the two as a deliberate play on words. On the one hand, a nezer is a crown. And the, the, and the Nazir's hair is like a crown, right? We saw that last week, Nazir Echav, the crown of his brothers, that's Yosef. On the other hand, Lahazir is to, is to withdraw, to abstain. So two kind of come together. Okay, 
So the answer is Nizro Shalo, as if to say, your Nezer, that belongs to you. So the things you're abstaining from, but they belong to you. It's in your purview. Rashi Amari is a different reason. The Nazir is holy, and, and what's holy about him is the hair that he grows out. By the way, what happens to his hair when he finishes? When he finishes successfully, finishes his Nazirut. What happens to his hair? Remember? He burns. Where? You mean shave. With his carpet hair. Under, uh, on the fire that's underneath the shoulder. That's right. It's part of a korban. So his hair is holy. Kadosh yeh gadel rosho, meaning gidulo kadosh, the end of our hair kadosh. So Ravashi says, brilliant thing. He says, the fact that the Torah singles out the Nazir and it says his hair is holy, says it's only his hair is holy. The wine isn't holy. The grapes aren't holy, right? All those other things. You just can't eat them, but they're not sanctified which, by the way, is a very interesting insight into the whole discussion we've had the last four weeks, is that maybe Rabbi Avahu says if the Torah forbids eating, it's something like sancta. It's something like holy things that are off limits. And the critical rule of sancta is Isur Hana'ah. The critical defining feature <laughs> of holy things is me'ila. It's the fact that if you use it for yourself, you've trespassed. And that may be where Rabbi Avahu is coming from. Okay. So the Gemara says that nice, but the Drasha doesn't work. Does the Torah say only your hair is holy? Just says your hair is holy. Now we're going to take Marzutra's position, Nizro. All right, let's see. Uh, we have we actually have time to, to finish this up. Chadash. What's Chadash? All right, so Chadash, which is something that's, that's not relevant to us for another couple of months, in a sense, uh, is the prohibition of eating any new grains that have sprouted since the last time we brought a Korban HaOmer, or we happen to have the 16th of Nisan. Now, even in COVID, we had the 16th of Nisan. The calendar date happened. And every year when the 16th of Nisan comes, the second day of Pesach or first day of Cholamoy, depending where we are, all new grains become permitted uh, as if we had brought that Korban HaOmer that permits them. And then any new grains that's, that take root from that point on, which means they were planted within the last two weeks, are prohibited, meaning stuff like summer wheat, things are grown then, are prohibited until the next Omer. That's Chadash. And the famous saying of Rabbi Lazar, Chadash Asur Mina Torah B'chom Makom, Right, that it's not even limited to Israel, even though it's a grant, it's a agriculturally based uh, isur, uh, is subject to some very interesting uh, literature among the achronim. Here's the kicker: You're not allowed to eat chadash. Okay, Utsanan. <coughs> Nonetheless, the Mishnah in Menachot says, Notice, by the way, no psukim. This is a Mishnah. No psukim. You're allowed to cut uh, chadash before and use it as straw or feed it to your animals. That's called hana. You're allowed to get hana from chadash even when you're not allowed to eat it. So Amar Shmaya Shani Hatam Damakra. Again, it's different because the pasuk says kitsir chem. You see here in the pasuk, uk reshit kitsir chem el hakohen. 
that the chadash is the first of your cutting. So it's your cutting. It belongs to you. Again, this is the issue. Is Every time that we find a special pasuk that justifies Rabbi Avau, Chizkiah now sees it as an extra pasuk. It's unnecessary. Means the cutting of all the Jewish people. All right. Um, we are going to actually um, very quickly do Shratzim. What are Shratzim? Cockroaches. Yeah, right, creepy crawlers are different size. Exactly. And there's a lot, there's a whole field of Shratzim, both Shirtzei Ha'of and Sheretz Hamayim and Sheretz Ha'aretz uh, that are prohibited and all defined by kind of legs it has if it's on the ground, right? And uh, if it's in the water, so different Simanim, right? Of the scales, etc. All right. Shratzim, the Torah says, Shekatsu lo yachel. Something that's abominable, don't eat it. Utanan, and yet we have the Mishnat. Let's say you're a trapper and you're trapping fish and you end up with some shratzim in your net. Mutarin limochran goyim. What are you allowed to do? Have I not from a sale? Can sell. And that's where we started from with an Avela. And here the Torah says, you're not allowed to eat it. And again, we have a lachem, and I'll show you where it is. Sheketz hu lachem, which again is interesting because remember how we we've used the word lachem. The word lachem in that case, both in, in the other case, like with Arilim, meant it's forbidden to you. Here, it's disgusting to you. But the fact that Torah uses the word lachem kind of hints, uh, yeah, but it's yours. You, you kind of have ownership over it, and you get benefit from it. Wink, wink. So if that's the case, why can't you go be a sheretz trapper and sell them to Goy? Why does it have to be only if you were trapping and they happen to come in? Meaning, they should be as is. In other words, treat them like a sheketz, avoid them, stay away from them. If they happen to fall to your net, you can get benefit from it, which means that we're walking kind of a, a midway point here between Lachem and Hiyah. And now we put it all together and say, according to Chizkiah, so why does it say you can't eat it? And then say Lachem says, but you can get Hanah. Why say it that way? Why doesn't why can't the Torah just say don't eat it instead of it shall not be eaten? And then say, don't say lachem. And so, in other words, and this by the way is a great place for us to close off. It's 429. Let the Torah not say lo yachel, and then the Torah doesn't have to say lachem. Because then it's obvious I can get benefit. So Amar Lachizkiah. Chizkiah said, yeah, this is actually my source. Shratzim is actually my source for saying that when the Torah says don't eat, it only means don't eat. Because the very fact the Torah had to say lo yeachel and then balance it with lachem proves that the default is when the Torah says don't eat, it means only don't eat. And that's where I built my entire piece from. So we've done over the past four weeks 
is we have looked at a long sugya in Psachim, bouncing off of the Mishnah, which says that um, that uh, you're not allowed to get Hanoah from Chametz at any point, that you're not allowed to sell anymore, not to get Hanoah, uh, and that's at the point at which you're supposed to destroy the Chametz, and long discussion about what's the source for the Isur of, uh, of uh, Hanoah from Chametz, is it just because it says don't eat it? That's where we have vow, and then we can one after another after another attacks of places where the Torah says don't eat, and yet you're allowed to get hanah. Or it was the case, in fact, that that chametz is anchored in some strange, stranger terminology and stronger terminology that makes it clear you can't get hanah. But the default is you may get hanah. What we looked at today, we spent significant time looking at the issue of mishnah versus midrash, two types of literature, two types of organizational schemes where we will find things. And we looked at specifically the Breita about Orla, and we found it in the Torah Kohanim, in the Sifra, right there in front of us. And, uh, and as, as, an, as that, hopefully we took the opportunity to expand our understanding of, of the literature, the literature that the Talmud Bavli uses and develops in order to, to, uh, to engage in these wonderful discussions. In Mirza Hashem, next week, we are going to start a sugya in the fourth parak about Min Hagim. Uh, it's, uh, the, it is a parak that is devoted to the issue of Min Hagim and, uh, and, the, and the way that Min Hagim work. We're uh, at some point during there also going to, I mean, you'll see that it's going to take us in some very interesting twisty and turny asides. And uh, everybody, in the meantime, have a great week and stay healthy. And um, I will see you next week.